Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this edition, Joao Felix and Barcelona together like a horse and carriage, but not in the top five to win the Champions League. Also, the tournament's group stage kickoff. Is it the rest v Man City? And talking of marriages of convenience, will the proposed new Germany coach fall in love all over again? So, no pun intended at all when I talk about how wonderful Joao Felix is. What a joy to watch, Andy. Joy. What is Joao to watch? <laughs> well, he has been the last week, certainly. And it's funny because we discussed this, didn't we, um, a week or two ago here on OTC. The, the idea that, and you were saying, is it an underlining of how far he's fallen, that he would be the player to take the pressure off Lamine Yamal, that really he's butler to this 16-year-old, that Lamal is the guy that you want to see play all the time. And it, I talked about Joao Felix maybe giving him a week off because you can't play him every single week. But of course, it's not just about how he gets that opportunity. It's about how he takes that opportunity. And he was brilliant against Betis at the the, the weekend, a team that they absolutely destroyed, 5-0. Then he was brilliant against Antwerp in the Champions League, a slightly weaker opposition that they absolutely destroyed. Yeah, Antwerp was shit. Yeah, and I, th- I think you have to look at Betis as well. We've just lost their, their, their best defender, Luis Felipe, as well. Um, it, it's, it's the right time to, to, to play them. But having said that, Joao Felix arrived and it was never clear why this transfer was really happening, apart from him talking it into existence by <laughs> going and talking to... Fabrizio Romano in the most modern transfer yeah. that you could ever possibly but, but imagine. You, you say that the one thing I think maybe one of the most widespread expectations of summer was that it would be uh, the Saudi Pro League's Joe Felix. Yeah, ex- <laughs> ex- ex- exactly. So, exactly. But so he was, wasn't there. He was he was quite resistant to mm. to, to that in, in in the end. And George Mendish, Uncle George, mm-hmm. helped him uh, as as we talked about last week get his way to to, to Barcelona. Um, there was some significant financial acrobatics and, and in fact Joao Felix did an interview with um, Mundo Deportivo that came out this morning in, in Barcelona and he spoke about how he'd made a, a significant financial sacrifice to make himself happy again but because he think, essentially is still signed to Atletico Madrid till 2029 <laughs> 
It's mad. Which is e- extraordinary. They don't want him. Yeah, but they also need to protect their investment. Oh. And that's that's the thing. And he's he's taken a cut from that contract. He's only there for the year at the moment. I mean, we can get into where the future might lead him more in a, a, a little bit. But in terms of his playing this week, he's been fantastic because I think he's been given that little bit of freedom that he's not had for a very long time. So he nominally starts on the left. We just right. He drifts into the 10. He scores two very different goals against Antwerp as well. He scores one, which is a very tidy finish, which we know he can do. And then he scores the sort of goal that if I was Diego Simeone, I'd be thinking, why didn't we use him like that more? Like a back post header, which he's always been capable of scoring. And, you know, if you look at like the major difference between, say, Ronaldo and Messi, you look at um, Ronaldo's winner in the El Clasico Cup final, the the header at the back post, the one goal that Messi can't score, that Ronaldo can. And Joao Felix, you know, Atletico were set up to provide him with these sort of chances and they weren't able to do that. But you can already feel that happiness. So we can say the opposition weren't great in the last two games, but he's already taking that opportunity and looking like he belongs and he feels a bit happier. And with a player of that sort of talent, it's actually nice to see. But is, is, is this not a classic case, though, especially in a, in a modern game that is so systemized that he's finally in a kind of a, a tactical context that actually suits his abilities, which he probably hasn't had for what, the last half decade since leaving Portugal? Uh, I mean, because I mean, the long running theme when he was at Atletico Madrid was just that Diego Simeone was asking him to be a player that he just wasn't. And using him in a completely different way, and he was he was so oh he's isolated, trying to drag up play. Then obviously the loan at Chelsea was just I mean, whatever was happening there for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Whereas now there's suddenly, more the context at Chelsea, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, the context yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and even I suppose the demands on him. Whereas mm. now he just fits into an attacking role that just complements him and it amplifies his own. But it's interesting because a player who clearly has been quite low on confidence has helped to lift Barcelona up a mm. level because I think Barcelona definitely heading for an identity crisis last season you look at the way in which they won the league through not conceding many goals right up mm. until the point they win it and then they start conceding for fun obviously um, I think that the fact that he has been the player who has helped to unlock and Lamine Yamal has had a role in this as well definitely has, has helped to unlock the door to making them a little bit more entertaining because these doubts have been growing over Xavi you know this guy who's fated to become Barcelona coach who really charms the fans with not just being a Barcelona legend but having that philosophy for the minute he walked in the door he's like we have to play this certain way we have to play like like we mean it even if our squad is diminished and obviously his squad was built up from there through Matteo Alemani's work and all that sort of stuff but for Joao Felix to be the player who comes in after everything he's been through and helps them come up to this level where admittedly they haven't played anyone great yet but to, to, to start to approach this level where they're actually entertaining again which mm-hmm. people doubted whether Javi's Barcelona Javi the coach's Barcelona could actually do Well there was always that sense I suppose that or there was that argument made that, that Javi for all he, he basically talked a good uh, Cruyff-Guardiola game Oh, he did, but yeah. didn't necessarily. There was maybe that sense that while as a player he was so good, he could just instinctively um, apply it, or it kind of went through him. That as a manager, when you have to actually kind of apply it yourself and kind of apply a framework, he maybe didn't understand it to that profound level in the way Guardiola did 
which is why it was always, it was always kind of a super superficial implementation. So basically, basically, are we saying he's Roy Hodgson at Palace? He gives <laughs> he he gives the keys to yeah, the flair yeah, players yeah. and then goes right. Yeah. I'll sort out the defence. You do the rest. But there, there, there was an element of they were more they're much more rudimentary. I would say than any of um, Guardiola's sides. Yeah. The, the, the great irony, and this is a bit of a tangent for Joe Felix, but it's something I was con- thinking about this week, and especially from the start of this season, and the way De Zerbe's playing, and whether this is kind of something new in football, whether the whole, I mean, I suppose when, when Guardiola's Barcelona came along in 2008, and it was sort of considered a bit of an end of history in terms of tactics, mm. that this was the, the high point, no one could improve in this. Obviously there was, and it, you know, which is basically what, high, high pressing, high, high possession, uh, obviously, there are kind of you know some responses like counter pressing, but that was still the kind of high form of the game. And now, with the way I suppose responses to pressing have developed, and if you look at even what Guardiola did in response, say to having Haaland, and how suddenly he plays long ball football, that well, not long ball, but they they do play a lot more direct balls. Is that a pro? And actually, and similarly, the the classic Dutch approach now. That PSV, I mean, look at the way PSV got battered. I'm sure we'll come on to that. What's yeah. happened at Ajax? Is that probably just doesn't fit what the modern game is now? And hence, and Zavi, even if he didn't intend it like this, suddenly his uh, his own uh, tactical system suddenly suits the modern game a bit better. We are going to talk about PSV and Ajax shortly, but let's not lose sight of this because I still can't understand what went wrong with Joao Felix, as you know, Andy. Oh, from the moment I saw him. Uh, from the moment he left Benfica was when I first sighted him and I thought, mm. wow, this guy's got it. He's going to light up uh, the European football. But then he went to Atletico. I wonder whether... It's clear now that that was probably the wrong move for him. But why didn't Barcelona see him when he was at Benfica? Why didn't they come in for him there? Did they not know well, I mean, what he could contribute at that point? What went wrong? Atletico Madrid had to put this of a, a very good um, connection to the Portuguese market. So mm. they, uh, they, they, you know, it's, uh, they Ahead of it comes back. comes back to the man Mendish really, yeah. who, who had a huge role in helping to build Atletico's team that got to the mm. 2014 and 2016 Champions League finals in in a sort of different era of of Mendish. We're going to come back to him a lot this season, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. But I, I think the, the thing with Joao Felix that I thought was quite interesting that some of his wording in this in this interview, which I, I don't know, it, it didn't seem especially deep and revelatory, but a couple of the things he said stuck with me. Firstly, the fact that he said, I didn't adapt well to Atletico or the trainer. So he didn't <laughs> absolve himself of, of blame there. So he could have easily, I thought, thrown Atletico under the bus, even though he's contracted to, to them for a, for a long time. Maybe he had to spare the club a little bit because there was always a little bit of a sense of was he waiting out Simeone? You know, if he came back from Chelsea, which like this was a was a dry loan, so there was a chance that he would end up there again at some point. You know, does he not want to burn all his bridges with the club because he ends up there? But I think a little bit of self self criticism is 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 not unhealthy, and his idea of football is something, and it's something he talked about again in in, in the interview, like the the, the fact that. He he wasn't able to express his idea of football. He felt now, of course, you always wanted him and Simeone to meet each other halfway. And even if you look at at Barcelona when when they're in their quite sort of zealous period of we must play football in mm. in this way, they always try and get people from outside the bubble. And I think that's healthy to yeah, have yeah. you know to to have not this completely 
zealous following of a, a, a particular style and a particular credo and no one from in outside the women's can, game as well as the bring, men's game actually. but, but it's, it's important yeah. isn't it like, and like if, if you think a player who was really effective in say the Luis Enrique era for Barcelona Ivan Rakitic yeah because he's out of that bubble Croatian but came up through Swiss and German football New Spain before as well which obviously helped but he's quite cosmopolitan and he's someone when you talked about that directness he's something who really helped Luis Enrique evolve the way that yeah. he wanted the team to yeah. play right now, a great irony I know we've seen it we've got a few questions about um, whether João Felix actually has a kind of long term future at Barcelona but I suppose and you think if it goes well he'd want to stay at Barcelona but then of course <laughs> that might change Atletico's position yeah there was like a lovely little veiled threat actually in the interview where yeah. he, he said well we'll see what happens and how I play this season and it's uh, it depends how easy Atletico want to, want to make it but, but on that though suddenly I mean well we've only got short term evidence so far but from what Simeone has done in the last few months say and, and again from a situation where once more we don't you know it's been written off but would he fit the way Atletico play now just that bit better whether that compromise he kind of alluded to is actually possible yeah I, I suppose that that is a question I suppose the other question is there's been no real a, a investment in Atletico I mm. mean it's something we talked about with David wasn't it a, a week or two ago the idea that they're doing everything on a shoestring at the moment mm. and at least part of that is because all their money is tied up in Joao Felix now, that investment is protected, as we said. They got him to extend the contract before he went. So if it goes well, they can sell him. And probably, ideally, they will not be selling him to Barcelona, but a club that have actually got money at, at the end of the season. But they could really do with that money to rebuild the team. So whether it's at Barcelona next season or somewhere else, this season is very much in Atletico's interests that he reinflates his value, isn't it? Yeah, but, but like what happened with Griezmann almost, where they mm. sold Griezmann and eventually got him back. But that allowed them to suppose at least form some of the team that ended up winning the title two years later. Mm. So, in terms of Barcelona, what what difference will João Felix performing well make to their prospects? Not just in the domestic in La Liga, but also in the Champions League. Well, what do you think? I think a key. There was a criticism last season that because of the way Lewandowski plays, nothing um, made Barcelona one dimensional. But it meant everything they did had to get much closer to the box, become much more of a, of a box team. Rather, I suppose, you know, the, the the classic Barcelona will be attacking from all angles. And at least Joao Felix does it. Also, with the way he can carry the ball, um, it, it I think it gives them more dimensions up front. Uh, it takes some of the focus, whatever about where the ball has to go, takes some of the focus off uh, Lewandowski. So I mean, because ultimately, I suppose what happened and it led to so many of those kind of low-scoring games where defences would attempt to crowd him out, he'd take his chance and that was sort of it. I know this is politically quite sticky, but is there a point where they could even play João Felix instead of Lewandowski? Oh, you'd, you'd think so, especially, I suppose, the argument can... I mean, he's in great shape, Lewandowski, obviously, but... But he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a real <laughs> sulker if he's not in the yeah, team yeah. As, as well. That that really is the political <laughs> angle of it. But yeah. I, I think... is I think as well, what, what we have to say is we we talked about the fact that Joao Felix has looked brilliant in these games against opposition that is not in the best place at the, at the moment. And of course, Antwerp in the, in the Champions League for the first time in over half a decade. I was a bit half a decade, half century. Yeah, I was a bit disrespectful saying that they were shit, but they they clearly you could say were, that they were on the night. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think that's well, fine. Our argument should be the structure of European football. Is We're shit. coming to that. We're coming <laughs> exactly. to that. Exactly. I know you want to get to that. So let's move on. Exactly. When we talk about how limited the opposition have been in, in, in the last couple of games. I think you can maybe project that onto this group for a bit as well because the Shakhtar-Porto game was, I think it's fair to say, not of unbelievable quality. And we can talk about Barcelona falling short in the Champions League and how that's something that's financially unsustainable. They need to get further in the Champions League. There is no way they are not getting into the knockouts. You look at the group they got drawn in last year. I mean, we can talk about their shortcomings, but they did get drawn in a group with Bayern and Inter which immediately is very difficult especially for a, yeah especially for a team on the on on the rebuild whereas this time the draw has been quite friendly to them and does that give them a leg up as they try to be competitive in the Champions League as well well talking of that look uh Barcelona what <laughs> fascinated me was in the top 5 favorites to win the Champions League Barcelona don't feature um, I think I don't need to tell anybody or nobody will be surprised to know who the favourites are. But apart from them, apart from the favourites, Man City, who for you um, can also maybe hold a candle up to Man City in the Champions League? So I, I actually, I touched, I wrote about this in the preview of the season I did, which is also a look kind of a, a lament for the last ever group stage, but really not what the group stage is now, because clearly something is wrong, but what the group stage used to be, where it was really exactly, but that's not, the problem with that isn't the format. Um, but from that, I was going, has, has there ever been a team that it looks, uh, of course, in knockout football, anything can happen, blah, 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 all the rest of it. But if all goes normally, has there ever been a team that is, looks as likely to win the Champions League as this Manchester City? Maybe Barcelona, or Guardiola's Barcelona, but even that, I mean, and, and this is where that, this kind of reflects your question. Even Barcelona around 2008-2011, there were sufficient heavyweights that if they slipped, and, and they often had a bit of a kind of glass jaw in terms of kind of the way that they played so high, but if they slipped, there were kind of teams closer to them ready to step in. And even then the way Mourinho was much more of a kind of a, a, a personality as a manager in that, in that sense and what he did with Inter. Whereas now it just feels there's a huge gap. There's a Real Madrid who essentially are almost okay. Again, we we know we saw another Bellingham Wonder show, but Madrid are basically a team waiting for the next era, which will be properly crowned or probably started when they um, when they sign Mbappe. Like right now, that they feel an incomplete team. After that, okay, Bayern. Although I have to say, I mean. I thought they were really unconvincing against Manchester United. They're so poor as the back. It's all the more surprising given that I actually felt they're the complete opposite of Tuchel's Chelsea. With Tuchel's Chelsea, he immediately put in place this defensive structure that made them very difficult to open. Bayern are completely porous. They're quite entertaining going forward given all the talent they've got. But you'd think over two, over two legs, certainly City would destroy them again with that defence. I mean, you look at Bayern actually, and I was I was at PSG on Tuesday night, and you think... What a game changer Manuel Ugarte is for yeah. for PSG. And it's interesting because as, as we spoke about on OTC Reacts after that with with JJ, the the fact that in in France there was this suspicion. God, they've paid a lot for this guy. Are they being ripped off by Georges Mendes? <laughs> Whereas actually, 
so many clubs could have done with Ugarte. Yeah, you know, Bayern could have done with him. Of course, um, they they uh, they whiffed on Jarpalinha right at the end. Although why they left it that late yeah. to try and make the deal, I, I think is a a different question. But so many of these teams are lacking that sort yeah, of yeah. sort of player and it feels even though PSG are like, generally way more athletic in midfield they're better off the ball that number six is a is a massive massive yeah. deal yeah I mean I, but I suppose the thing with Bayern is they might well sort that in January and then when we I mean because they're going to get through the group now especially after mm. winning last night um, but I mean so the bigger issue and again it's on something we've discussed so often Arsenal haven't been in the, in the Champions League for what since 2017 so that's six years and yet, just by virtue of being one of the better teams in England, okay, it's not like there's any sort of adaptation process again. They're just they're going to be one of the one of the favourites after Manchester City and because they're one of the strongest teams in England. Again, it's the draw, isn't it? Well, that, that as well. In, yeah, in, yeah. in terms of the group, that that has that has worked pretty well with them. But but that feeds into the. I mean, right. So la- last night's game, Arsenal PSV, it was just a non-event. And again, Arsenal are very good. But oh, the, after after twenty minutes, the atmosphere it, was kind of testimonial level, it, really. And it, this is PSV. I mean, mm. it's only it's only sixteen years since PSV actually knocked Arsenal out in the in the last sixteen, like that classic Wenger stage. And I mean, and, and this speaks to what we're saying about European football and how how, how small the world is at the top, especially in, in the teams that can potentially win, it, or how how stratified it is, and how many different tiers are. And it, it, it's so sad that a, a team like PSV now have just become. Like previous win- winners, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although I have to, I have to say, this goes back. I think I, I take your point totally. It is very sad and in, indicative of the way things have gone and the, the financial gulf between leagues. However, it also underlines that it's not just about money because what City have done so well is they've spent their money on management structure. Obviously, the best coach in the world as well. And then you see the way that PSV played at Arsenal last night. And it's funny, like I said, the way the atmosphere fell off into almost mm. sort of testimonial level, it's just because it was so incredibly easy. Because... Peter P- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, before you spend money on anything, spend money on the coach. Because Peter Bosch is quite famous for his uh, quote while he was at Dortmund, of um, there is no plan B. The plan is the plan B is just to do plan A better, <laughs> which is 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 him in a nutshell, really. So you've got a team who uh, has won four out of four in the Eredivisie, who turned up, and I've seen so many teams do it at the Emirates before, who turn up, and this goes back to when they were last in the Champions League, and they think we deserve to be here. You know what? We're going to go toe to toe with them. We're going to play open. And they're way too open. And you, you sit there thinking, this team's really technically competent. <laughs> they yeah. end up losing four, five, six nil. So you've, you've got to be smarter than that. You've got to be much smarter than that, especially with the gap in resources. Uh, so out of Bayern and Real Madrid, who, who are the real contenders? I guardedly say PSG. Yeah, uh, and uh, these are interesting. Yeah, that, that they they in are in a football perspective. It's that, that, yeah, that they are, and as as we were saying on OTC reacts, I think the fact that they're much more convincing off the ball immediately makes them a contender, and that for me is like certainly in in current format why why I'm out on Bayern, for example, because 
I mean, they let in, as as Miguel said, three goals to win, and not very good Manchester United side. Certainly not very good at the, at the moment. And that sort of defensive chaos, which they kind of skated over by being so good mm. going forward under Hansi Flick, wasn't fixed under Julian Nagelsmann. They didn't really get the recruitment right to, to, to help him, and I think he was a little bit unfortunate there. It's not been fixed under Thomas Tuchel because I don't really think the personnel is there as well. Right. And the, the plan was for ages that they would go forward with this Kimmich, Goretzka midfield. But it's not been the midfield that they thought it would be. And also, yeah, maybe they're lacking that Ugarte, Palinha type, type player as well, who they were so desperately looking for all summer. Of course, let's not forget this whole season in the Champions League is overshadowed by the fact that this is the last season that the format will be as it is now. It is changing next season. I don't know if either of you fancy having a go at explaining <laughs> how it's going to change. It's complex. Well, it? well it's you actually, we, we, it's not that complex. It's just, it's been communicated, I think, very badly by UEFA. Yes. That, that's the issue. Yes. And I mean, as, as from speaking to people who've worked on it, and they, they would always argue that it actually models very well. Uh, but when, when you actually, when it's kind of explained in simple terms, it doesn't seem as bad. So basically, it's a 36-team league. Rather than that being split up, uh, teams will play, I think it's going to be eight games now, but they'll all play eight games, but they'll play like based on different seedings. So essentially, like I mean, so, so say Bayern Munich are in it, they'll have eight games against teams from up and down the seeding. And everyone will have that same amount of games. After that, it all goes into a massive league. It will still be a traditional last 16, but after a fashion, which is that the top eight go through automatically to that last 16. But then there's a playoff round in between, between positions eight and twenty-four. Of course, I have to get my maths there. <laughs> and I suppose I mean, one of the one of the uh, logical arguments behind that is that it, it doesn't just mean like say if you're twenty-fifth or thirtieth in the thirty-six, then you your games aren't like like what happens in the group stage now. Your games aren't just dead rubbers because there's still an outside chance of getting into that top twenty-four if you like to get into that kind of midway knockout stage I mean it's actually not that complex it's just not as clean as what as what the group stage is but we, we know the reason why uh, they've decided to reformat it and that was because of the threat of the Super League isn't it well, well um, isn't it? Part, part of it was also because there was a, there was an acknowledgement that the group stage was just becoming problematic. It was it was getting boring, and but it's but, to make more money as well. Yeah, yeah because yes, there are yeah. more games. Always, yeah, exa- exactly, Always. exactly, a lot more, a yeah, lot more. But, games. That, but that also feeds into the boring aspect but, because yeah, but, there was this there was this kind of I mean, and Perez articulated actually around the Super League that people didn't watch the Champions League until until the latter stages. Um, but 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 again, I mean, the, the problem that it's just it, it's what it is. It's addressing the wrong problem because the, the problem is actually. <laughs> Exactly what Andy's touched on there. It's uh, it, it it's the, the financial gap, and it, it's kind of trying. It's trying to kind of sidestep that problem by being creative with the fixtures rather than actually addressing inequality in European football. I mean, and again, this speaks to kind of what we're talking about with the current group stage. I mean, like the fact we're in a situation where Manchester United are in the same group as Copenhagen. Copenhagen, what a revenue? Of, you know, it, 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 is it is it twenty million a season? Um, if that, if that, I wonder. But it, so, does the new restructuring does it enable the disparity between the teams, or or does it at least attempt to uh, pull that back to some form of parity? It, oh, all it just means is that you don't have a situation where suddenly the top two are almost guaranteed to go through after four games. It doesn't actually solve financial issues in Europe. In fact, it probably makes it worse. 
because, you know, more of the bigger teams get more games. I mean, it has been described as UEFA almost institutionalizing the Super League. And let's not forget that this was this was the, the proposal put forward by the kind of Super League clubs literally in the, in the week before that uh, they, they kind of broke away. Now, OK, it didn't completely look like that, but it, this is this is still the broad idea. Um, is it the Super League by stealth, Andy, for you? Um, I, I think you could say it is to a, a certain degree. And especially when you look at the extra places for the clubs with a higher coefficient, yeah. uh, the countries with a higher coefficient. I mean, it's a sort of slight change from the original proposed um, you know, historical merit qualification. So it's slightly more palatable to people than that. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, I find it quite hard to to get excited about. I suppose the thing is, with the way that the draw has gone for the Champions League group stage this season, I think we saw it this week with the fact that there are not a lot of really thrilling ties. You know, we 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 saw some we saw some interesting ties, and I, I think you probably start with like PSG Dortmund is is, is the biggest, for example. Um, but there's there's not a load of like edge of the seat ones. Now, of course, maybe I'm maybe I'm overlooking something as we're we're going on, but it doesn't feel as if this is the season that's going to make you believe. Oh yeah, this is a group stage that we really need to to hold on to, and and that's an issue for sure. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Julian Nagelsmann, um, we've talked about him so many times on OTC, not least this year, uh, youngest of the major league, I suppose, uh, managers, and certainly within the Champions League. A lot is expected of him. Uh, now he is being proposed as the new Germany manager, of course, to replace Hansi Flick. And I, I, I wonder, in bringing... Nagelsmann's been out of a job for most of this year now because yeah. he got sacked by Bayern Munich. In spring. Even though 
it surprised many people because he was the golden boy, wasn't he, of yeah, German coaching? And, and they invested so much in him. Remember, they yeah. paid a world record transfer fee to to bring him in for a coach. They paid twenty five million to to bring him in from Leipzig. They gave him a five year contract, which they sacked him less than two years into. Um, and so they owe him a lot of money going forward. It, well, they won't anymore after letting him go for Germany by doing a solid to the DFB <laughs> and to the national team, which is very, very nice of them. Yeah. I think what's interesting is the fact that that they had him to this contract and having sacked him, he's, he's essentially been on guardianing leave since Thomas Tuchel has been in, in, in charge of Bayern. Now, there's been a lot said about how um, Bayern had doubts over Nagelsmann and they wanted Tuchel and they didn't want him to get taken by someone else so they, they, they moved with haste. Whether they're repenting at leisure I think is a, a different question. But I think with Nagelsmann, the interesting thing is is that he spoke to quite a few top clubs over the possibility of a job yeah. this summer. Quite a few of those clubs were put off by the fact that Bayern wanted at least eight figures in terms of a fee to let him go from a contract to let a coach go that they didn't <laughs> want anymore now of course people have said in recent days what as Nagel's man has got closer to the Germany job well you know he's making a brave step he's um stepping away from uh, 20 million euros that he could be earning uh, earning what 20 million euros that he could be earning if he did nothing until 2026 which yeah. is n- not a realistic prospect what he's his doing, garden would look amazing though by then <laughs> you, you would you would think i don't think young people are into gardening that much <laughs> I, I i think you look at that and really he's taking a, a short term hit to kind of regenerate his his reputation get himself back in the spotlight and it's an interesting opportunity from Germany. So if he's taking a short-term packet, the idea that he's really leaving 20 million on the table, he's not. He'll go and get another job next summer. And I guess from a Bayern so perspective... It's a one-year uh, opportunity, it's, it's, it's job opportunity. Less. It's, it's, less to, it's, it's to, to, to Euro oh, of 2024. Of course it is. Course it is. It's to yeah, Euro 2024, yeah. um, so, which I really need to get themselves into shape for. So I guess the thing is, Miguel, that Bayern have got to this point where it's offered them a face-saving get-out from the contract that they will no longer have to pay because it always seemed to me a bit unusual that they were asking for this big fee for a coach who was effectively sidelined and who they would have to pay a large salary until he got another job. 17 million. There's also maybe an interesting dynamic in that it was seen... I remember when the, um, the move happened... It was seen as quite dirty in the way they just got rid of Nagelsmann when they could still have won what a treble at that point. Well, they, they uh, were they were hundred percent in the Champions yeah, League at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, and they? and it was considered maybe a bit unbiron, and now they've I suppose this is maybe like a bit, a bit of kind of moral recompense in that sense. Um, well, it's the previous regime, of course. Yeah. That got rid of him. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was Salahamazic and, yeah, and, yeah. and and Khan that got rid of him, and who know longer there and the current regime who are or well, they're still looking for their new sporting director yeah. their new replacement for Salahamazic they're kind of living with the consequences of it to a degree aren't they yeah yeah um and yeah and, 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 a, and a club kind of not not quite in transition in terms of hierarchy but yeah they are trying to refashion themselves there. but I think in terms of the actual move itself and this is related to how Bayern played as well there's a very interesting um theme to this I mean Nagelsmann just by if it, once it's confirmed, he will be one of the most accomplished managers in international football in terms that he's got a major title. Now, I remember before 
the um, the twenty twenty two World Cup, thinking that Spain and Germany had massive advantages because basically they had the only two coaches who had actually done anything really substantial at club level, which but they both won trebles, Hansi Flick and Luis Enrique, but that didn't really translate into the tournament. No. Um, and th- this is relevant, I suppose, because Nagelsmann, as as we know, I suppose, because he's so, um, he, 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 he's so tactically in depth that it requires a lot of work on the training ground. Now there is an argument that international football is now almost kind of branching off into a different area, especially tactically, where you, you it, it can't work on the same principles as the club game, which is so intensive. So kind, of, there is that, there is that tactical depth, and maybe you need something different. And it's why I suppose a lot of European countries are moving towards, or even increasing towards, a model of promoting people from the underage sides, under twenty ones, and and because they know how international football works, and it's it kind of it's where there's a, lot, a greater breaks in between games. Yeah, I suppose that's that's the question. Does Nagelsmann actually get the time with this the players is- to be effective? Uh, and it's interesting how one of the other major candidates yeah. was. Stefan Kuntz, yeah. who's just been fired by Turkey. And people will look at that and think, that's mad. But yeah. he, he won two championships with the under-21 yeah, team. Yeah, but that said, that said, what I, was, I mean, what, what was one of the reasons buying got rid of him? Well, because of uh, a relationship with the players. And now another dynamic that is suddenly, what's the core of the German squad? Bayern Munich. <laughs> but if they don't see him as often, and given that all these players are versed in this approach, or at least kind of principles of it, does that suddenly kind of does that balance out and aid Nagelsmann? Well, I guess the question is, what do you think Germany's biggest problem is? Because if it's defending, do you just hire a defensive coach? In which case, you've probably yeah. hired the wrong one. But I think he's definitely the best German qualified coach out there and certainly the best qualified and available German coach out there. Of course, I think there's still... Medium to long term, there's still a hankering for Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's quite an interesting theme as well in terms of, and I suppose one of the reasons they'd won Klopp is because they're actually hosting the Euros next summer. And if you look at, the, I suppose, these last two tournaments that Germany have hosted, well, one was just at the very start of uh, the kind of the the resurgence and you know, our Das reboot, as a, as a famous book has it. Yes, um, <laughs> but but obviously the the, te- the team wasn't quite ready to win it. But there was a, they, were, they were clearly on the way up because all this talent was coming through and they changed the entire approach. It doesn't but, feel like that now, well, does now, it? Now it's actually at the other side of that. Yeah. Where suddenly, especially if you lower down in, in German football in terms of its youth structures, there's all sorts of questions asked about whether, how... And one of the biggest is, we ha- how do we produce strikers again? Mm. I mean, that, that, I can I suppose a, a horrific name drop now. When I interviewed Arsene Wenger two weeks ago, <laughs> but this—I mean, we were. This is the right place for yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Yes. Specifically talking about this, and he, he name-checked Germany in, in particular about uh, a coaching culture that is now really trying to address its complete lack of strikers. Um, this is so fascinating. This this chance or this proposed, uh, you know, appointment by the Germany national team. I didn't realize that there were so many facets to it, but of course. It is interesting and fascinating. It remains to be seen, though, what difference he'll make in the Euros. Everybody wants to know. He's obviously been appointed, partly what you said, Miguel, they're hosting the Euros next year. Uh, they can't get Jurgen Klopp, so they've gone for Nagelsmann. They will be hoping to win the Euros, of course. Yeah. Um, how? How? What? A, what difference will he make to their fortunes? I think he'll make a difference, and I think this is a gesture appointment as much as anything else because they need to look like they're going for it. They need to look like they're 
going for a nuclear option, which which they are. I mean, Kunz, you could argue medium term. Okay, you can understand the the logic of it, but I think after everything that they've they've been through recently, the poor display at Euro twenty twenty, going out in the groups in the World Cup in Qatar, and of course, it's what really did in a row. yeah, mm. exactly, and and what really did for for Flick the Amazon series yeah. uh, around the, the, the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, it is at least partly about optics as well, to say we want to be ambitious in the game. And Nagelsmann has never been backwards and coming forwards in terms of the sort of football that he wants to play. He's going to try and put his own um, mark on the team. He's going to try and get them to play in an aggressive yet adaptable way. So look, I don't think this makes them anywhere near favourites for Euro 2024. I don't think, unless something massive changes, I don't think they can really compete with England and France, at least. But to at least have a sense of semi-revolution, at least semi-revolution, I think that's something that's important to the the, the German footballing so public. Starts- a German footballing public who at the moment feels quite dislocated from his team. Yeah. So Fair to point. have that sort of energy around the place, I think, is important. So his stats, when he's won 60 of his 84 games. Barmy, isn't it? So those well, stats... It's Barmy that they sacked him for Thomas Tuchel. Yes, it is. But yes, those it stats is. don't mean much then in terms of international or national football then, are you saying? Well, I don't mean much when you have Bayern Munich, really, because <laughs> they, they, they win. Okay. Going, I mean, okay. As, okay. as someone once put it to me, you could put a scarecrow in charge of Bayern Munich and they'd probably win 60% of their games. <laughs> it might be an exaggeration, but we'll, we'll allow that. Uh, time, gentlemen, to recommend a game of the week for us and a food pairing with it, if you don't mind. Andy, you're, you're good to go? Yeah, I, I'm going to start because it's Friday night. And um, yeah. Friday Friday night fun equals Nice at the moment. They won oh. at the Parc des Princes yeah. uh, last Friday night where Terra Moffi absolutely, the Nigerian striker, absolutely bullied Milan Skriniar. Mm. Um, he had a great game. And Nice are looking interesting. Now, they're going to Monaco, who are top of the league, who are... Local derby? Kind, yeah, it's a local derby, but it's, it's a weird kind of rivalry because... Um, Nice will have more fans, even though it's at Monaco Stadium, the Stade Louis Deux. They're far more passionately supported. Of course, Monaco always struggle with crowds. Nice have such a strong sense of representing the region. I remember the first away game I went to when I lived in France. I went to see Lyon at Monaco. And that bit where you kept in for 10 minutes at the end and you're looking over the back of the stand and you could just see all these multi-million dollar yachts. The thing that I found extraordinary is... After that, um, because uh, Nice's fans, Nice's ultras, I should say, were concerned that um, the Monaco fans wouldn't represent the region in noble enough way against the Leon boys, they sent like 20 of their ultras down to have a fight with the Leon fans. <laughs> Goodness sake. I, I, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. But th- that's that's the sort of sense that a, a lot of Nice fans have of we are the real in this region mm. and it will be a real challenge as as, as well for Monaco who've, who've played well um, Minamino's been brilliant so far this season after 
starting quite poorly after arriving from from Liverpool, following Balogun, scored on his his, his debut as, as as well last week at Lorient, and then Nice coming off that that, that win at the Parc de France. So look, I think it's going to be an absolutely terrific game. But look, I, I think in in terms of eating, there's a lot of Italian food culture in that part of the world as well. well. Yeah. It's, is it's, it Italy it's, or is it France? It's, it's, it's very, very, <laughs> very close to the border. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think, I think I we're think going. Historically, we're, we're going, we're going for a nice, uh, light uh, truffle pesto pasta. Yeah, it's, historically, <laughs> isn't the Prince Garibaldi? Sounds Italian to me. But let's not get into the politics, Miguel. Uh, it's quite an interesting weekend. Uh, there's obviously uh, Marseille PSG uh, in France, which is a pressure on PSG given the defeat last weekend. Uh, I suppose I was going to maybe allow my some of my bias, some personal bias, to come into it again in that. But I do think it's an interesting match. Osasuna Sevilla, uh, primarily because Osasuna there's the danger of kind of the disappointment from not making the Europa Conference infecting their season, but also Sevilla, who are a mess at the moment. Uh, but ultimately, I suppose the game you can't get away from is the Madrid derby. Uh, all the more so because of Atletico's uh, maybe start of extremes and Madrid. I mean, it's it's actually quite striking what's happening there. Even as we talk about kind of waiting for the Mbappe era, but it's just been the Bellingham show, and he, it does feel like suddenly he's he he's doing a lot for someone as young as he is to compensate for some of the uh, the gaps in the biggest club in world football. Um, and as what as to what a go for that. Um, funnily, when I was going to pick the Osasuna game, um, I suppose it it is Spanish. It's not quite Madrid, but I can't get. Uh, Chistora out of my mind, which is uh, <laughs> a very, very Navarra uh, meat. So um, I'll go for that with it, yeah. <laughs> thank you both. Uh, really appreciate that. And thank you for listening to On the Continent. Make sure you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.